Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Alrighty, it's good to be back here with a guy who's got a mountain of sheds behind him right now. Actually, a wall of sheds. Like, you could... You could uh, you know, like defend your house with, like, if you prop that thing up at your front door, no one's breaking in. They'd, they'd get injured. And uh, I actually got injured for the first time on a shed tonight. I uh, went out with my daughter and um, uh, we walked for, I don't know, maybe an hour and 15. And uh, there's a neighboring farm that just looks like it's good. Unfortunately, the best stuff. Like where I know 90% of the sheds are in our neighborhood here, that guy is like super tight on his ground. There's no one getting in there. There's been, uh, there, there's stories of like really negative run-ins with people that have, you know, been like hunting pheasants in the property next to him, that kind of thing. And uh, he just owns all the habitat. So I've been like getting permission on all these like surrounding farms and uh sure enough we found an old, an old one it's pretty well chewed but no time left behind and uh so i went and picked it up and we we're carrying it along and then set it down to cross a creek and help my daughter cross a creek and when i picked it up i wasn't really looking and part of the chewed part like like right by the the base i just sliced my hand on that sharp shard and I thought, I was like, I saw my hand bleeding later. I'm like, man, I don't remember walking through any thorns. You know how when you like rip your hand up on some thorns, like there's some kind of, I think there's some kind of toxin on those uh, those uh, thorns that just causes you to like swell a little bit and it, and it just stings for a while. It wasn't doing that. I'm like, what is that from? I'm like, oh yeah, I cut myself in this dirty, nasty shed. But anyways, you could use your shed wall there to defend the, to defend the keep but uh, you got some really nice whitetails there. See that nice big elk shed you got there on the end. Got a few muleys yeah. in there. Yeah, there's a couple down there on the bottom, and then I got a moose paddle. Oh, yeah. I bought the moose paddle, though, um, so that's not as cool. But, yeah, if anyone, I mean, the joke's always been like you step on a Lego, right, and that's like the best house defense. <laughs> well, man, stepping on some of these antlers oh. in the middle of the night when my dog leaves them in the hallway. Okay, so yeah. so the, all right, you just brought up two things. First of all, do you ever worry that your dog's just going to like tear into your sheds? And uh, yeah, no, never. See, that's why I I won't give my dog an antler chew. Like even the nasty sheds. So when, the first nasty shed I ever picked up, super chew is one. It's probably one of the first ten sheds I ever picked up. So there's no way I was letting that thing go. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'll give this to my dog. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what, if I give him the taste of sheds, he's going to look at all my all my sheds sitting around on tables and bookshelves and stuff like that. And he's going to be like, oh, look, a snack. So I've always been deathly afraid to like give him an, an antler chew for that very reason. But uh, you haven't had any trouble with your dog tearing into yours? No, and it's funny you ask that because I had a buddy – that sent me a message today, this morning, and he's training a seven-month-old pup, and he asked me, do you give your dog chews at home? I've heard people go both ways. Like, if you want them to be a shed dog, you give them the chews, and they're always loving sheds. 
And I said, I sent him a picture, and I goes, that sits in my office with the door open, and I'll leave for eight hours at a time. And he's never once picked an antler. I mean, you can't really see it. Maybe you can in the back. Some of them are even on the ground. Yeah, yeah, I see a and few of them sitting never on touched there. a shed on that wall. Huh? If I gave him an antler in the other room, he would take it and chew on it. Okay. But if I take it back, he'll leave it alone. But he's he, he's not a normal dog. I mean, I don't think he's a normal dog. I can buy a Casey's pizza, a Ooh, slice of Casey's pizza. I can, I can put it on the yeah, great choice. <laughs> uh, I can put it on the center console of my truck, and with my dog in the passenger seat. Right, you know, I have the forty. I have the I have the consoles. Right, it's not a bench seat, so I put it right there, and his nose is fifteen inches from him. And I'll just say leave it, and I'll go and shut the door, and I'll go out and pump gas for five minutes, and I'll come back in, and he hasn't even touched it. Wow, that's a good dog. That's very well behaved. My dog would devour that thing and know that he's going to face my wrath and still devour it and uh, just wait for the consequences. <laughs> yeah, so get this. When I moved out of my house in North Dakota to come down here and be with my fiance and then now wife, um, it was like the last night in my house or last two nights I was air mattressing it because the bed was packed up. Everything's packed up. I have no furniture. I left one bowl and like one fork. And so I'd go to the store like those last couple nights. I just go buy some of the barbecue wings out of the deli. Okay. And I'd yeah. microwave them. And, and then I just lay on the air mattress and watch TV on my computer. And I remember I had a salad and a, um, and those barbecue wings and I'm eating the salad. So I take the wings and I don't even think about it. I was like, well, I'm not going to set them on the air mattress because they could tip over. So I just go like this and set them on the ground and I eat my salad and the salad's gone. And then I read, Look down and I realized I put a bowl of barbecue boneless wings on the ground, inches in front of his nose. That's torture. Oh, that's a well, good dog right there. But it's like if you're the dog, like that's what you do when you feed the dog. You put <laughs> that's a right. bowl of food right in front of his nose. So for some reason he knows like I can't eat that. And yeah. I didn't say a thing to him. Yeah, that's impressive. My dog would have absolutely devoured those things. And, uh, yeah, Grizz is something else. I, a lot of people have said that, and it took me a while. I'm like, oh, he's just a dog. Like, I'm not, I'm no one special. It's not like this dog is any different <laughs> than anyone else. But people started saying it enough, and then I started seeing other people's dogs, and I'm like, you know what? This I got lucky. I got really lucky. Yeah. With this dog. Yep. No, that's that's really impressive. That's that's very cool. So yeah, I I I think that. Um, Based on your story, I'm I'm going to stick with the normal method that I've been going with. I'm not giving my dog any sheds to start chewing on. Uh, he, I think you're yeah. you got a special one there that can differentiate. But no, so the other thing is, you've probably seen that picture. I don't know, like maybe two and a half months ago, it was circulating like wildfire on social media. This guy sitting in a hospital bed. And uh, they're zoomed in on his foot, and he's got a brow tine jammed into yep. his, his foot. And uh, my sister uh, saw that on Facebook or Instagram, so she throws it into the family uh, group text because she knows I like to shed hunt, and my youngest brother likes to do some shed hunting. And she's like, look at this, guys. And uh, then we had this whole like family-wide debate on whether or not that picture was real. And... Uh, if uh you know it was doctored up or whatever so what do you think do you think it's a real picture or do you think it's uh just a little bit of uh photoshop something i don't know i mean you never know anymore but i will say that those chewed off 
tips, and I have one. I found one this year. When you get a chewed off point on a whitetail shed, those suckers are razor blades. Yeah. So if he stepped on one of those, that is causing major damage. And it all depends, like how hard you step on it. Like right. you definitely. I mean, you you've seen all kinds of them. I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. It's not uncommon to see a picture on social media of an antler sticking out of a horse's butt or That's a, true, or a yep. cow's butt. That's true. And there ain't no way the bottom of my feet are tougher than that horse's hide. Right. Yeah, I definitely think it would stab into your foot, but yeah. The the I think the thing that they were like, well, what about uh, you know, why was he barefooted? was one well i think that's easy enough like shed falls on the floor you leave one on the floor your kids move it your dog moves it whatever go to the bathroom in the middle of the exactly. night yeah it's not going through your boot i've stepped on a lot of them unfortunately and uh they're not going through your boot. <laughs> I, yeah it, i yeah i don't think it could go through your boot either maybe like if you were shed hunting in flip-flops which uh yeah. you never know but uh the and then the other part was there's no blood in the picture with as deep as that thing was oh. it looked you know looked like there should be some blood there or something but i don't know i definitely yeah. think it can happen i once heard a story about a guy i think it was in like a field and stream you ever read those this happened to me uh they're yep. they're drawn up like little comic book things and uh this guy was driving in his four-wheeler went up like this little embankment and he had a i think it was a like uh part of an elk like the the head and the cape maybe like he'd already hauled out most of it and just went back for the head and the cape and uh he like his his four-wheeler got on too steep of an embankment it like rolled back and uh he impaled himself on the antlers of the elk like right through his back i think he survived and everything but i mean pretty nasty deal there for so whenever i uh take my kids shed hunting and they're carrying the sheds I always make them like carry them with the tines because they're always tripping over stuff and falling. I don't need one of those going in their eye or their stomach or something like that. So I always have them like carry it with the tines facing out away from them and everything. But yeah, it's, you know, all the things that you ponder when you're addicted to antlers like uh, Brian and I are, which is a perfect time to introduce who we're talking to tonight. We got Brian Krebs from the two bucks podcast excellent uh i shouldn't say brand new but pretty new podcast in the outdoor world really yeah and i should say outdoor world because you do have some fishing content on there as well but definitely a heavy hunting uh uh influence i guess you could say uh i mean it's in the name two bucks but it's also a really creative name uh, in the sense that the idea is you're you're talking to people who are entrepreneurs in the outdoor space, something that Brian is in of himself. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But uh, I also think your clever name and uh, your good edits, good music, um, you, you talk to good people on there and you ask great questions and you have some really funny one-liners. It shows how intelligent you are as a person. And that's what I really like listening to your podcast. I like listening to intelligent hosts because they ask good questions and their humor is always a step above, you know, the average. Uh, so we uh, interviewed for work recently, uh, <clears throat> Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater. Oh, yes. And, yeah. and uh, I told Ryan, I really appreciate your dry sense of humor. 
Uh, he has extremely dry humor. If you listen to it on his Cal's Week in Review podcast, it's just so hilarious. And I think dry humor is definitely a mark of intelligence because you're like, you know, you're saying something that to the average listener is not even going to they're not even going to catch it. It's going to go right over their head. But somebody who's like really listening, really tuned in, they're going to find it hilarious. The same thing is true with one-liners. And here's, here is, just so you can tell that I'm not blowing smoke, I have thought about this one many times. It was in a recent interview that Brian did with uh, not really his boss, sort of his boss, I guess, sort of his leader. Uh, he's in the network with uh, Dan Johnson, uh, the Sportsman's Empire Network. And uh, Dan has been on this podcast as well. I think if you go back to like episode number 60, maybe uh, somewhere around the 60s, you can find that interview that I did with Dan. But um, he he was talking about running to get ready for uh, elk season. And Brian, you were like, (laughs) you're like, if I'm running, you better follow because there's either gold or a grizzly. I thought that was so hilarious. I uh, I was cleaning seed at work, and uh, I just started busting up laughing when I heard you say. I was like, "That was a that was a good clever joke." You, I, you even got uh, Dan chuckling there a little bit too when you when you used that one. So I appreciate your humor. I appreciate the questions you ask. I like the topics you cover. You dive in deep. You let the conversation flow. You're a great host. So I'm excited to see how the Two Bucks Podcast grows, but also part of another podcast as well he co-hosts the western rookies podcast as part of the sportsman's empire network as well and so uh you're really getting your name out there man well first of all i appreciate all the nice words and um i guess i just say stuff in the moment (laughs) and i'm glad i'm glad uh, there's people out there that appreciate it but oh yeah man it's um, awesome yeah it's just it's been fun and and you know, I don't like to say that I'm intelligent, but I've done um, a lot of school and a lot. Of, I mean, I, I am, you know, I, I, I know things. I guess He's an I electrical engineer. From, <laughs> I am an electrical engineer. I'm an electrical engineer for a green tractor company, if you can figure that one out. Um, and, yeah, I just did a lot of odd jobs. I think I just have a lot of world experience for someone my age, which I've been very blessed. And then, you know, I, math just came easy to me. So that's kind of what makes or breaks it in elementary school and yeah that's and true. so i made it but yeah it's funny that's that is the same line i tell people when they talk about running <laughs> if you see me running you better join me because there's either gold or grizzly bears and you don't want to wait to find out which <laughs> yep that's a that's a great one that was the first time i'd ever heard it and i, I really appreciated it in fact i'm uh, excited to share it with my dad he likes one-liners like that too especially when it when it deals with like exercise aversion um, he's, yeah. he's always a fan of those kind of jokes. So no, it was, it was great. And, um, I'm kind of the same way, buddy. Uh, I think we were both football players. I heard you mention, and, uh, what, what do they say about football players? You gotta, you gotta try for six seconds or something like that. The average, the average play length is six seconds. And so, uh, and then you get a break. So, uh, running is not distance. Running is not something that is, uh, our forte, unfortunately, but, uh, certainly though, Brian, uh, like me as well, likes to put in the miles hiking. And, uh, again, his shed wall is a testament to that. And, uh, he, he enjoys shed hunting probably as much as I do. In fact, if we uh, lived in the same neck of the woods together, I'm sure we'd shed hunt together all the time. And, um, 
if Caleb was on this episode, which he's not, he uh, is kind of doing a family night tonight, but uh, I'd never, well, I shouldn't say it this way. I do have a friend named Chris Dyer who I actually mentioned on when I uh, was interviewed on Brian's podcast. He loves to shed hunt, but I don't live close enough to him to really shed hunt with him. And then Caleb moved to uh, my neck of the woods, and uh, that's when I really had a friend close by that liked to shed hunt as much as I did. And uh, there's just something about people that that are obsessed with sheds. They're not very common, but certainly fun to hang out with when you love to shed hunt. And so um, it's pretty cool what you do. And you also got a shed dog, right? Yeah, yeah, Grizz. He's the shed dog. How many – so here's here's a question that I think a lot of people have. How many times does he come up with a shed that, like, there's no way you would have found without him? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting way to phrase the question because he's picked up every shed on that wall except the two elk. I found those archery elk hunting. He wasn't there, okay. but every other shed on this wall, save a few. A few I found, but there's 140 sheds over there, and he's picked up 130 of them. Wow. But I usually see them first due to the nature of the habitat that we shed hunt in. Okay. A lot of those came out of the Dakotas, so it's you know rolling prairies and drainages. and you know I might see a shed from 300 yards away Yeah, sure. where his eyes are 12 inches off the ground. But every year he finds, I would say he finds about 10% that I would have never found. And and earlier, where is it? I think I got it right here. Um, this shed right here, um, we found in North Dakota in January. Oh, that's January. a dandy. Yeah, just a nice, probably two or three-year-old buck, kind of a five-pointer, got a little knob in. Um, I'll throw it on the carpet so it doesn't make a lot of noise. But he picked that one out of a snowbank. And he oh, not only wow. out of a snowbank, but out of a snowbank where there was, I had walked it by within 10 yards at least twice because there was a lot of hard pack nearby from deer tracks. Sure. And at least other people, there was boot tracks within 10 yards. And he pulled it out of powder. I mean, maybe there was a tip showing. He probably scented it because there was a lot of blood left on the, okay, on the yeah. base. But, but he does something like that a couple times every year. Um, you know, he'll come running back over a hill with an antler in his mouth. He'll be 50 yards away and he puts his head down and I think he's going to take a leak or mark his territory. Yeah. And he lifts his head up and there's a, you know, that big eight pointer on the end down there by the elk shed. He picked that one up. That was the first one he ever found on his wow. own. Every one of those top wire ones, there's 10 of them. And every one of them are not only big, but they have a story. Yeah, that's, um, that's really cool. Yeah, so that you know, that's a good, that's a really good statistic there. Ten percent that you would not have found otherwise. So, if you're tuning in, you're thinking about, you know, all I need to be a better shed hunter is a shed dog. It certainly helps, but you're still going to have to be looking in the right place too. It sounds like. Do you cut him loose and just like, you know, let him tear off 150 yards from you, and then all of a sudden just kind of wait to see if he shows back up with something or? Are you are you working with him basically like a bird dog? That really depends on where we are. Um, twice in my life, he has gotten onto some deer and he's chased them, and it, oh. oh man, it's angered me to no end. He's lucky yeah. he came out of that field. Um, <laughs> and so if we're if there's a lot of deer and it's wooded and it's very thick and I can't get good eyes on them, I'll try to keep him closer. But there's been times in the Dakotas where he's out. 
400 yards away running across that ridge wow. over there and i can see him and i just let him go because he you know when we're bird hunting i'll keep him closer and he kind of figures it out after a little bit i'll just beep him and he'll turn around sure but when we're shed hunting, i'll let him go as far as i can see him yeah that's that's cool and it does make sense you gotta you gotta be cognizant of kind of habitat you're in and especially if you're public yeah. land shed hunting you know, and you can't really blame people for this, but people out walking, they see your dog off leash come running up or something like that. Um, they might get a little nervous and then you got an issue there with them. And so it, uh, it makes sense. You know, you gotta be, you gotta know where you're at with that. In fact, I had a buddy who was, um, out hiking in a state forest once and somebody had their, uh, pit bull off leash and, uh, that pit bull just uh ran right up to him latched onto his hand and uh you know just chomped him and he had to get rabies shots and everything so you know people get nervous about having a dog off leash so if you gotta again if you're gonna have a shed dog you gotta be like uh, brian there and be responsible know where you're at and and adjust in that way too but yeah i think it's so cool when people have them it represents a lot of work did you take him somewhere to be formally trained or did you kind of do it yourself slash let his instincts take over yeah a little of both i will say this if you think of, if you're gonna buy a shed dog and, and let their instincts take over you're gonna get a pheasant dog mm. um their instincts you're fighting their instincts to get them to be to ah, find that's sheds. A great point um because dogs like to chase and retrieve and sheds don't move and they don't smell <laughs> a lot there's a little smell there but there's not a lot um and so it actually goes back to a pheasants forever banquet i knew i wanted a dog i finally built a house i was single i had all the time in the world and that was the plan once i build this house i'm going to get a dog it's going to learn sheds and 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 pheasants i'm not doing anything with waterfall i I don't i i will go i'll bring my shotgun i'll bring all the snacks but i don't have the gear and i'm not going to buy it right yeah anytime soon because it's just too many things so i go to this banquet and my brother's pheasants forever banquet he's the president and so there's a dog on the auction and my brother's got a dog from him a lot of my friends have had a dog it's a really good breeder and so i'm like all right i'm gonna buy a dog but i want to know what i'm getting so i call the breeder up and i say hey here's what i want i want a male i want a lab i want him to be not a small lab mm -hmm. don't necessarily want a small one because we might be doing elk sheds and you know i want him to be right yeah i don't want him to wear out that fast i don't know what i was thinking I don't think they'd wear out, but um, just wanted no, a I don't know. I think lab. I mean it makes sense if you, you know, think about like go back to the bird hunting analogy. When you're bird hunting, how many steps is your dog putting in compared to you? And if you got a pretty short-legged dog, you know that's even more steps yet. And then when you're dragging a big old elk antler, you know, it'd be helpful yeah. if they could get it up off the ground mostly. So I think it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I want to link. He's like I want. I want a lanky one. I don't want a fat one, but I don't want a short one. It has like I don't know. I just pick him. But I wanted like primarily. I want a good. Do I want a dog that shows promise. He's energetic. He's got drive. He's you know, he's smart. And the breeder goes, well, the dog you want. I got the dog you want, but I don't want to sell. <laughs> he's the last male of a certain line, um, and and that his sire, the, his dad. I, I don't want to speak dog terms because I'll screw. No, up, you're right. His dad sire, is sire, yeah. Yeah. And so he's the last male of that line. I really don't want to give him up. And I was like, well, what do you, would you, what do you want to do a breeding deal? Like I'll, he'll be my dog, but you have to breed it. Like, whatever you want to do, I don't care. 
but it sounds like that's the dog I want. And so we marked out this deal and I bought the dog off the auction, bidded one time, you know, I'd wait yeah. until he was about ready to say sold. And then I bidded, nobody wanted to counter. And, um, and that's how I got him. And then I, you know, I picked him out ahead of time. I said, I'm going to buy this dog. If I don't win the auction, I'll still buy this dog. And then that's how I got him. And then that through the breeding program, we had a deal. He'll do $1,500 of training and then, um, he'll have the breeding rights for up to three times at $500 pop. So it was kind of like free training. And so he stood, a, I would say a starter, but it was his first time training a shed dog. He trained the pheasants and the obedience. And then I basically finished the sheds. Okay. Yeah. Did yeah. you use like, uh, Jeremy Moore's program? Yep. Okay. Yep. Dog bone. Yep. I yep. used the dog bone program and all of the principles that he <clears throat> teaches and just repetition, repetition, repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that it, it's a lot of work. It's very rewarding, though. Like the sheds he finds on his own are more meaningful to me than the ones I've. Even if the bigger ones are the ones I find, and I do think, depending, like if you're a if you're a hardwoods hunter, like woods or cattails, you will find probably more. The dog ratio will probably be higher, thirty forty oh, yeah, percent. If you're in a cattail swamp or a willow swamp where you don't have that visibility, you know I run a lot of tree lines, tree lines and food sources in the Dakotas where I can see. You know, I've, I've glassed sheds at four or 500 yards. Wow. So, yeah, that's, those are great points. And, you know, I think another thing too, going into the training difficulty. So you talked about, you know, you're fighting against that, that chase instinct, that hunting instinct, but, um, it's such delayed gratification a lot of times with shed hunting too, especially like in an early season shed hunt when there aren't many antlers down on the ground yet. And, uh, that was always a problem for me is, uh, I, I worked pretty hard with my, uh, Brittany Theo. I tried really hard to, to teach him in his early days. And he like got to a point where if I picked up an antler or something, he'd get excited. So like he had that visual recognition. Um, he's a good bird dog. I've killed a lot of yeah. pheasants and he's found a lot of pheasants for me and, And, uh, so he's got, like, he's got the intelligence, he's got the nose, but I just think his attention span, you know, was, he was too distracted by everything else going on in the woods or in the field or wherever we were looking that, um, he, you know, I would hide antlers around the house and he would be able to go find them and, and, you know, mark them and, and, and that, but out in the field, not a chance. He just like could not, he couldn't uh, stay dialed in on it. So uh, it's yeah. cool that you got your dog over that. And I do th- think, you know, when, when you see what breeds of shed dogs are out there, not exclusively, but almost always labs. They're just, uh, I think it's that retrieval instinct in them that uh, just helps them be a really good uh, shed dog breed. There is a guy here in Iowa that I follow on Instagram who's got a golden retriever and, uh, he finds quite a few sheds with him too. So I think, you know, my advice as somebody who doesn't have a shed dog, it, it seems a lot that you go with what does that dog naturally bring to the table? And if it is a retrieval instinct, then that's a good starting point. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, the basis of shed hunting is a retrieval. Um, it's a retrieval game. It's a retrieval process. So your Britneys and your your Spaniels and, and, and your GSPs and all those, those are 
just upland dogs, right? They're right, meant to yeah. sniff out birds. There's a lot of same tendencies there, but they just don't, I don't know if those dogs really bring as strong a retrieving drive to yeah. the table. Yep, um, that's a good way to say it. And and it's, but it's, it's more fundamental than that even. I think, you know, labs, retrievers, golden retrievers, most hunting dogs, what they're really, they have a drive to do something that they will enjoy more, but they really want to please, right? They're pleasers. Yeah. They want that. They want that recognition. They want that appraisal. They're, they're really seeking that, right? Dogs just hunting dogs thrive on that, that gratification from the owner. Right. Yeah. And, and your spaniel is the same. So now the secret to, to build a shed dog is you need to tie, you basically need to get into, um, some of the, 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 the brain chemistry really is what it is. You need to make a dopamine connection between an mm. antler and that dog's mind. So they know that there is a source of gratification and approval and pleasure and, and all that with this antler. Once you build that connection, then it makes it easy. So then they start to go, then they start to see patterns, right? They see the smells and the shapes and then they start to retrieve it. But if that's the fundamental part of building a shed dog. And I think any dog, it's just, they're, they're wired to do it for ducks and, and yeah. pheasants. They're not, they don't, that the instinct isn't there for the sheds, but you can build it. You just got to let that dog know through repetition that if you bring this antler back to me, good things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. And, um, you know, the, I guess almost the way you could look at it is if you do train them in that way, then they're not, you're not setting your dog out there to be looking for antlers instead they're out there on a walk and if they happen to smell that familiar smell that they get rewarded for or they happen to see that antler um then they go and get it instead of all right you know we're going to spend every second of being hyper focused here looking for an antler you know if you have that expectation for your dog they're probably not going to live up to it but whereas if yeah. you, if they're just trained to react to you know the smell when they catch catch wind of an antler or or the shape or whatever, then uh, they can react and go and get it. Is it would Would you agree with that? Yeah, one hundred percent. That was exactly the the point I was building to. Is you know, what, typically I don't go say, "Hey, Grizz, we're shed hunting." I just uh, let great. him out, and he knows we're doing something. And he's we're going for a walk, and he's covering <clears throat> ground. He's casting left and right because he's also a bird dog, and we train that. And so he just builds a tendency to walk through the woods and the fields, you know, in this back and left, left and right quartering pattern. And then he'll find a pheasant and he'll kick that up in March and he'll find a, you know, a dead deer and he sniffs that and moves on. And then he'll find another pheasant and he'll point it. He's a pointing lab. And then all of a sudden he finds an antler. And if it's, well, if it's not small enough, it's not old, it. he'll bring it back to me. That's, <laughs> that's a great diva. That's that's a great way to describe. It. I've never heard it put that way, but that is such a such a good way to explain how you, to. I mean, because that's not even just for the dog; it's for our own mentality, our own expectations for our dog when we're sending them out. So, uh, I think I think that's a great way to say it. Well, you're not yeah. just a shed hunter. You're not just a podcaster. You uh, run your own business as well. Uh, what is the name of your beard oil business? Yeah, yeah. So the beard oil business is called Bull Elk Beard Oil. Okay. 
um, came up with that. I came up with that. Well, that really ties into like an elk hunting story, really. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll just dive right into that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, how the business role. got started. I lived in North Dakota, and I, I drew a, a once-in-a-lifetime North Dakota elk. Wow. So a lot of people probably are going, there's elk in North Dakota? But yeah, there is. There's about 3,400, and there's some monster bulls. I mean, really? 350, 380, 390. Um, a 437 was shot the first Whoa. year they did this state elk hunt. Yeah, monster bulls. You draw the North Dakota elk tag, it's 50 to 60% success rates, depending on which unit you go in, and there's some of the biggest bulls oh, in the country. Bad. Yeah, that's not yeah bad. it's it's a phenomenal tag. Can can a non so, can a non resident apply for one of those tags, or is it resident only? It's resident only to apply. Non residents can buy raffle tickets for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation in North Dakota chapters and win it. Um, okay, but that's how a non resident could go. And so I tried to change the rules on that a little bit. I wanted to auction one off. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I drew this tag. And so I knew I was an elk hunter already, and I knew the caliber of the hunt and the and the quality, and and so I put my heart and soul into it. By this point, I was working through a breakup. I was hitting the gym, double headers already, losing weight like crazy. Then I got this elk hunt, and that fueled me even more. And so I spent all this time in the gym, you know, you know, working towards the, this is for the elk hunt. Sure, I'd bring my pack frame in, and I would put three plates on it and walk on the treadmill. Or I would put two plates on it and get on the stair climber. And I just leave my pack in the corner of the gym every wow. day. And so I was driving out. I was driving out west. It was about four hours. And I was just listening to podcasts and thinking about life and, you know, what I want to do. Do I really want to be behind the desk for my entire career? Do I want to do something? And, you know, I was like, man, I really want to, like, this is what I want to do. Like, how do I do this for a living, you know? Right, driving behind, going to scout and glass, and all these trips out west all summer long, scouting elk, and it's like I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do something, and and I was kind of dabbling with beard oil at the time, just making it for myself and some buddies, and it scents were going good, and I'm like, I think that I think I can make this into a business. The economics are behind it. The, the it, it's easy to get into. It works. I can start it up with virtually nothing. Um, you know, I'm not going to need to go broke or go into debt to start this thing, but man, sure. I don't even know what to call the stupid thing, you know, and how can I be a successful business person if I can't even name it? I don't know how to do sales tax. I don't know how it's going to affect my <laughs> income tax. Oh man, you know? sales tax. Oh. And so it had the same feeling. So I spent all summer long thinking about this idea and looking at elk. Last and elk, listening to elk hunting podcasts, all, you name it. And I got, I was glassing some big bulls. I had one bull. He was a seven by eight. Whoa. And I think he was knocking on the door of 400. Man. I sent it to a Utah guide that's really specializes in 400 inch bulls. And I said, Hey, man, can you score this for me and just tell me what you think? And he goes, Man, that looks like high 380s to high 390s. But every time I look at him, he's getting bigger. So he might be there. And I stayed on that bull for nine days and I couldn't find him again. Oh. I was trying different spots and different angles and sure. I just couldn't see him. And we had a cold front hit. And so I was like, well, I haven't seen this other bull in, in nine days. And this cold front September, it's September 8th, right at the beginning of the rut. And I can use any weapon. So That's I'm rifle sweet. hunting elk <laughs> in the badlands in the middle of the rut. And they're bugling their heads off there. You can see everywhere. It's 
beautiful, perfect conditions for a elk hunt. Sure. And I go to this new spot, hit this cold front. I park the truck, walk about a hundred yards, and I hear a bugle behind me on private. And I go, well, if there's a bugle behind me, maybe there's something in front of me. Maybe I can start a bugle war. So yeah. I rip that bugle. That. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Let's see how long it takes. To, I don't know how long should I wait. And I take one step, and a bugle. 300 yards in front of me goes off <laughs> and now my heart starts racing that's like, oh, awesome a bull. so i run up run down run up run down get a look at two bulls on a ridge and i'm like oh there they are and i pull up my glass and they're two raghorns and i'm not shooting anything less than about 325 on this hunt just because i know sure. the caliber you know i don't want to sell right. myself short i'll hunt this whole season until december and then maybe I'll shoot a raghorn. But I was like, oh, that was cool. Found the bull that was bugling. And as I'm taking pictures of him with my DSLR, I hear a bugle again. And I'm going, how cool is it to be video photographing yeah. a bull while he's bugling? And then I'm like, wait a second. Neither one of those bulls are moving. They're not making any noise. Yeah. There's a third bull. I'm like, oh, okay, game on. So Dude, I put my you were like in the, run up. the bull nest, man. <laughs> Yeah, run up, run down, run into a herd of cattle. And now I'm like, oh, no, what if I spook this herd of cattle? And they run out and run the Delco. So I'm literally like high-fiving cows as I'm running through this herd, trying to get through up and over. And I finally come to this opening, and I see him. He goes, he's just going over the hill, and he's huge. Like, he's a big bull. And so I'm like, all right, I know where they're going. So I run up and over one more, one more knob. And now there's like a hillside. And it's just beautiful. It's perfect. It's a hillside full of meadow grass. It would be CRP grass you guys over at Hoxie would be proud of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there were some, like, eight, ten-foot cedars just sprinkled across this hillside. Oh, man. Sounds and there's beautiful. cows eating and filtering through. And in the back, there's this one cedar that is just going for a ride of its life. <laughs> He's just ripping it to pieces. Ripping it to shreds at about 450. But all I can see is his fifths his fourths maybe but his fifths are what i can see wow and so i can i text my brother and i got at this point i have a 25x scope right i mean i'm dialed in i'm looking at this fifth and i text my brother it's a sunday morning he's in church (laughs) (laughs) and i text him and i'm like i'm telling i'm keeping him live updates like i'm on him he's bugling bunch of cows oh i see him and my brother's like how big is he and i go he's he's got 10 and fourths He's huge. And my brother's like, he texts back, he goes, dude, I don't think 10-inch fourths is that big of an elk. I mean, that that shit over there has got 10-inch fourths, and that's only a raghorn. Okay, I'm like, yeah. no, sorry, mistype, 10-inch fifths. And my brother's <laughs> like, oh, that's a huge one. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched this bull, I'm not joking you, for 45 minutes. I went back and looked at the text timestamps. I would bugle, and he would bugle, and I would call call and they would call call but it's it's open in between me and his cows i can't i can't take another step right i've set up my decoy next to me i had a one of those rocket those montana decoy company the silhouettes Mm -hmm. of a cow so i'm making cow calls and i got this cow decoy and for 45 minutes this bull is bugling and destroying the cedar and an elk i could see an elk walk up and so man it was like a fire drill check my yardage check the wind make sure i'm dialed take it off safety all right breathe breathe there it is oh that's a cow and i'd put it back on safety and then about five minutes later the same thing would happen i'd 
All right, check the wind, check the range, dial, breathe. Oh, it's a cow. Well, at, we go through this this scenario like three or four times over the course of maybe the last 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, a cow walks out, and it's a mature cow, I can tell that. And the cow looks back, and it gives two of the snarliest mews. Just, I mean, they're just dripping attitude. It's like, like, like you've been making your wife mad all week, and she's just like, can't get in the truck. We're leaving. <laughs> and and sure enough, he stops raking this tree and he starts moving, and I'm just looking at these tops going through the te- the, the cedars, and I'm like, all right, it's on, for real this time. Yeah, take yeah. it off safe, dial it, and he's gonna step out at 375. Put the crosshairs on him. Gun just explodes. Like right, the crosshairs are just floating. My fingers on the trigger. I'm trying to take up tension, and boom, just explodes. And I get right back on him, and he's tumbling down this steep cut. Oh man, probably thirty yards. And I'm with the wave of relief, right, on an animal like that to watch oh, yeah. them go down. <clears throat> and he he lands in the bottom, and there's popple trees and legs flying everywhere. And I'm like, all right, this is done. This is great. Like, I can't believe this just happened. And I look yeah. down and he stands up. That has to be a pretty surreal feeling to get your first elk because when, uh, well, I guess you didn't really say it. It was your first elk in North Dakota, but was that your first elk ever? Yeah, that, this was my first bull. Like, I watched him tumble okay, down. yeah. I think it's over. And then he stands up. And I'm shooting a big rifle. I'm shooting a 300 Winchester short mag with 200 grain bullets. Yeah, that's and got I'm some like, knockdown to it there. And this thing stands up and walks towards me. <sighs> and so I'm like, okay, I load a shell, I shoot, and he just kind of does this like recoil. Like if I kind of gave you a light push. Yeah. And you just be like, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. Reload again, shoot, light recoil. By this time, he's 75 yards closer to me, and he turns broadside, and I put my fourth one, and I never readjusted for the elevation. So now I hit like eight inches higher. And oh I hit nicked his spine, and he dropped. So now it's done, and it's in this flat. It's perfectly flat. It's a washout with some a little bit of grass, and I can sure. see him laying there from 400, 300 yards away. And this moment is like surreal. Oh, and I walk yeah. up on him, and I vividly remember walking up to this bull, and his hide is drenched. It's been raining, and his dark fur on his neck is beaded yeah. up, and it looks like dreadlocks, like. Just gnarly, huh. rugged, brutal, tough dreadlocks. And in that moment, I'm like, bull elk beard oil. That's what yeah. it's going to be called. That's awesome, man. And then from there on, it was off to the races. Like, that was the that was the story. Here's the bull right down there. Okay. Ooh, that see. is nice. Yeah. Man, he's so tall. Just yeah. crazy tall. Yeah, what, a, what an excellent animal. And to to have that all come together like that man that's just textbook perfect there that's the kind of dream we all have those of us that haven't uh gotten to do any elk hunting yet just uh be able to connect all the dots like that and hey you know good a good nod towards you and your skill and being able to take advantage of that opportunity you know that that's not a slouch of a shot 375 yards you know or or 350 whatever it was yeah. that that distance is that's a poke i know it because i missed a bear at that distance this last summer and uh that's about probably you know body size wise fairly similar to the size of of an elk and uh you know if you just 
if you don't have things quite dialed or you don't have that confidence, which I like how you described that the gun exploded when you uh, were hunting, because I think that's how you're supposed to react. Like your, your brain is supposed to think, whoa, that kind of surprised me there. I mean, I knew what I was doing. I knew I was going to take a shot, but the trigger pull made me jump or whatever. That's when you hear like, uh, so I was listening to Joel Turner from shot IQ on Rogan recently and yeah, um, yep, I listened to the same one. Okay. Yep. Yep. So just like that explanation that he had for how, you know, our body is, is designed to like absorb an explosion or whatever. So when we anticipate that we like get all clenched and, and tighten up and try to, you know, contort a little bit to fight against that explosive pressure. But we really, um, we really need to just kind of let it go and let it happen. And so that that's probably why you uh, hit your shot and I didn't hit mine, but, but I know I spent a lot of time at the range that summer, just knowing the tag I had and yeah. And, and I don't get anxiety hardly ever in life. I, I don't know what it's like, except for when I get in situations where there's a long shot coming, there's no options to get closer. And it, that's when I start feeling it. Oh, I did a, yeah. a mule deer hunt and I crawled in and the closest I could get was 498. Oh man. And I thought long and hard and I looked at the wind and I measured everything and, and range finded it and dialed it in. And, and sure enough, I put it right through the heart. I, I walked my wow. bullet in and yeah. That's incredible, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I need to, I need to get a hold of some of that coaching, you know, and, and try and uh, achieve some of that just like automatic, you know, it's kind of like if you shoot free throws all the time, if you're a basketball player, when you get to the line, it's that pressure is gone almost. And you, uh, you know, you can just kind of automatic, let your muscle memory and, uh, your brain kind of work together and, and, uh, you know, keep hitting those shots. But I need to, I definitely need to improve my game on it a little bit. That's for sure. But Hey, congrats to you for getting it done. So then you got going on the bull, the bull elk beard oil. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's something that I would have never even heard of until, I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago, my father-in-law started growing his beard out quite a bit. I think he's always pretty much had a beard. He, he says like, Oh, what does he say? The trade-off is for having a beard when you're his age is you look old because his, you know, is like going gray and everything. Or you can like shave it off and look like you just instantly gained 15 pounds or, or whatever. That's that's what he says. So he always keeps the beard. But then I think maybe we got him some beard oil for a Christmas gift or because he asked for it or we saw it on the shelf at a store or something. And we're like, oh, I bet he'd like that. But that's like really becoming a hot item for for people with beards. I don't have one because I can't grow one very well. Um, okay. I I just get like this like nasty chin thing that you know I look like that like the pharaohs of old you know, and uh, yeah. The <laughs> so I don't I don't have a beard, but so I guess I don't really know how to take care of one properly. But that's really becoming a, a popular thing, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's you know, certain people do it and then you kind of see the difference, but it really like 
when you get a beard of a certain length, it starts to just like dry out, especially when you're outside all the time, like we are. Oh, really? It gets dry and then it gets wiry and then it's hard to like keep looking huh. neat and tidy. And then you put some beard oil and maybe even a beard balm, then you can start to keep its structure and its shape and it just looks cleaner and it looks, you know, it looks better, it smells better. And really, part of what I'm trying to do with it is not just like, hey, this is a beard oil. You have a beard, but it's more about, you know, when you, when you look good, you feel good. And when you mm. feel good, you do good. Yeah, that's true. And th- and that's what I want to help is like, I want you to look, I want you to feel good. I want you to be at your best. I want to, and I, if I can help with a beard oil and maybe a, you know, maybe eventually some t-shirts that just, you know, you got that favorite t-shirt you just yeah, love yeah. and fits perfect in all the right places. And then maybe it's got a cool inspirational saying, that's really what I was trying to do with the, the company. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And, um, if I had a beard, I'd definitely get my hands on some. I'll probably, although my father-in-law is probably listening to the show, um, I'll probably uh, pick up some for him for her, a Christmas gift and anyone else that I know that, that's got a beard. And just, uh, again, it's good to support a guy who's in the industry and somebody who loves hunting and is inspired by, you know, such a beautiful story of you and that elk and, uh, you know, everything just kind of clicked into place in your mind when you walked up on him and, and saw that you had that success. But no, I think that's, that's really, really cool. So, uh, before we wrap up here, we're, we're getting to about our uh, cutoff mark here, but, um, you got any big hunting plans coming up this, are you like going to do spring bear or turkeys or anything? Or uh, are you not hunting again until this fall? And if so, what are you hunting and where are you hunting it? Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, something that you'll probably be a little bit interested in is me and my co-host from Western Rookie are actually heading out to Durango, Colorado in 19 days. And we're going to meet up with a a guy called Stephen Walker that we've had on the podcast a couple times. We're going to go out looking for Arizona elk sheds together. Oh, dude that's yeah. wild steven sent us a picture last week he went out and found 29 on his first trip wow that's incredible and i yeah. mean that so arizona arizona elk is what iowa whitetails are or kansas whitetails that's that is the yep. place to get into trophy uh animals and uh that's that does make me jealous. My uh, good buddy and also a uh, uh, another uh, co-host of mine, Alex Gruen of East West Hunts, which Brian, you definitely got to get Alex onto your show sometime. He is a great uh, entrepreneur in the outdoor space uh, who does hunt planning for people. But oh, um, I think you just followed the Instagram page. Is it East to West? Yep, East to West Hunts. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. He just followed me, so yeah, I'll reach out to him. Yeah, definitely. Great guy to talk to. But um, he just did a Arizona elk hunt uh, back in fall of 21. It took him eight years to draw that tag. And, uh, man, he shot a giant. He told stories of all these other giants that he saw while he was down there. I think he did. I think he may have picked up a shed, too, while he was hiking around looking for elk. But, um, yeah, that sounds like a, you know, a paradise for for a shed hunter especially an elk shed hunter so man yeah, i hope you i hope you great pick a bunch guide. up we got a great guide steven last year he found 350 and when he told us that Whoa. he was kind of like head down you know kind of lowly and i'm like we're like dude what are you talking like why are you 
<laughs> why are you being bashful? And he's like, well, you know, uh, I don't want to be like greedy, but the year before we found 750. So Whoa. it was a bad year for us. That is insane. Yeah, you're definitely finding some antlers. That'll be well worth your trip, it sounds like. Yeah. So I'm yeah. jealous of that, man. That's the big one. Um, I'll be in Canada fishing. I got a cool buddy that's starting a rod, a custom rod making company. So I'm going to get one of his rods and bring it up to Canada and do oh, a bunch of fishing, cool. do some filming. We'll be doing that rod giveaway then in July. That's kind of the annual family trip. And then we'll okay. be back in Colorado elk hunting this fall doing whitetails in the midwest man that's that is an action-packed season coming up glad to hear you're gonna have all those diverse experiences though and and just find new ways to appreciate the outdoors and improve yourself as a hunter and 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 all the things that go into that so that is uh just fantastic to to hear your story it's pretty inspirational you know it's easy to kind of just look at well, I'm going to hunt this one thing and, you know, that'll pretty much take up, you know, all my hunting. It's like, no, I think about it. You sit around all year during the off season, waiting for hunting season to get here. And then you can uh, just like let it slip away a little bit by not having enough things planned. So sounds pretty yeah. action packed for you coming into this year, but I think that's good. I think it's good to have that plan and that's what, you know, keeps you maximizing your time and, you know, getting after the most critters you can in a season. So that's really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. Talk about the planning and the East meets West hunting. Um, in the fall of 21, I had 10 big game tags. Whoa. Yep. So you're, you're not afraid to pull the trigger. <laughs> no, 10 big game tags. I had a fiance that lived in the news in a different state and she worked every other weekend. Oh my goodness. And I told her I'll miss I'll miss one weekend for the elk hunt. The big the big one. Yep. But other than that, I'm not missing a single weekend you're off. I'm gonna come see you every weekend. I think she came up to see me once. That's impressive. Once or twice man. that fall. And I That's hunted impressive. every one of those ten tags. I didn't sh- <laughs> I didn't fill every one of them. I think sure. I shot I think I filled fifty percent. So talk awesome. about planning. That's a that's yeah, a pretty good that's a pretty good rate. Yeah, and I only had so many vacations. I think I only had 14 vacation days for the fall set aside. Wow. A lot of three-day trips, a lot of long weekends, a lot of over. We drove a lot of overnighters. Oh, I bet, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty sweet, though. Yeah, I don't know that I I could do that, man. I'd be so worn out after chasing around that much. That's a very real, like. Christmas comes and I'm I'm done. Like I haven't slept in on a Saturday. I'm exhausted. I'm mm-hmm. tired of living out of a bag, and that's the. Re- but it's just I want to. Everything I try to do, and I think you're probably the same way. After a couple times that we talked, I just want to make the most out of life, right? You just want to maximize life yep. and live it to the fullest. And you know, yeah, everyone's you got a little on that. You know, sometimes it's getting out with your son or your daughter mm-hmm. and you know, getting them on a shed, but just. You know, I just want to go live. I just want to be there, be out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very well said. You want to have that first person experience. You know, like so much of what the the prescribed American dream is is sitting on your couch watching other people have fun. You know, <laughs> watching yeah. other people uh, play golf, act in a movie, play football, play basketball, um, whatever it is that people do. Hunt. You can even you can even be cut, guilty of just sitting around watching other people hunt. 
and not actually doing these things yourself. So yeah, you you bring up a very good point, some good wise wisdom or words of wisdom there for for our listeners. Now speaking of our listeners, they want to follow along. What's the best way to uh, follow what you're up to, and how can they uh, find the podcast? Yeah, so we got two podcasts: the Two Bucks podcast. That's the one I started. Um, it's just the two, it's just two bucks podcast on Instagram. We also got the Western rookie. That's the one all about how to hunt the West. Very synergetic with what you've got here mm. with the first gen hunter, you know, a big audience over there is yeah. first time first gen Western hunters. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so we're teaching people how to unlock the West, you know, what's out there. How do I do it? What do I need to go? Um, and that's just the Western rookie on all socials. And then my personal ones, just Brian underscore two bucks podcast. So yeah, that's awesome. Hit any one of those three and you'll navigate, you'll be able to navigate around to their other ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's great to know there's more great content out there. Sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you can get real deep into your podcast lineup and, and, uh, you can, uh, you know, get a little desperate for some new content. So com- coming across a show like yours is just a really awesome treat. And definitely it's uh, educational, very, very relatable. I think that's probably the best part of your show is just how relatable it is. And I think that's a testament to the quality of guests that you're finding to go on there and share their story, and you do a good job interviewing them. So uh, definitely if you're listening to this, you haven't turned into two bucks yet, turn into download the first couple episodes and just kind of start to you know get the feel for the show uh but definitely tune into the two bucks podcast and then also um like brian said it's a great crossover for what this show is where we're trying to help people who are new to hunting check out the western rookies podcast as well and uh um you know if you start to uh feel overwhelmed by what western hunting would look like for you as a new hunter i found that that when you uh um you know interact with people who know it inside and out that mountain that you're staring at you know thinking how on earth am i gonna get all the gear how am i gonna you know get to even the right places to hunt where i have not only animals but a place where i can survive for a week you know where i got water and and uh not going to be caught in bad weather things like that uh you know tuning into somebody a group of people who've got great experience in it can help answer a lot of those questions for you so definitely check out western rookies as well and then please also go and pay alex a visit at east west hunts go to eastwesthunts.com and uh, use that promo code first gen 10 save yourself 10 percent and uh you can uh maybe go pick up a piece of gear that you hear about on the two bucks podcast or you can uh, uh get yourself a can of beard oil or your dad or father-in-law or whoever else but then uh finally we uh, want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Spartan Forge, who is the presenting sponsor of the First Gen Hunter podcast. Uh, Bill is one of the best dudes around. He puts so much time into making Spartan Forge an effective app for you. Make sure you take advantage, download the app, and uh, then just pick up some subscriptions to the different features that are offered within Spartan Forge. So hey, I'll uh, I'll throw one on there. Yeah, if you if you're curious about the Spartan Forge story, I interviewed Bill on the Two Bucks podcast. I'm looking back right now for the episode number. 
I believe really? it is episode 21, Bill Thompson. Yeah, it shared awesome. the whole Spartan Forge story. I didn't um, realize incredible. you interviewed him. I was going to suggest you interview him. Yeah, Bill's a great guy. He's yeah. he's as good as it gets. I mean, just a true, genuine dude. And, yeah, if you haven't if you haven't gotten on board yet with Spartan Forge, definitely do that. And uh, also check out episode 21 of Brian's show. Uh, listen Speaking to Bill. of great guest, episode 33 Ken Boucher just went up today. <laughs> That's right. It was a ton of fun too. And uh, uh, yeah, just uh, Brian's a good guy. I'm excited to do more work with Brian down the road. Um, he's he's a guy that I'll have a lot of fun collaborating with, I'm sure, many times in the future. Just like uh, happened with Alex and Brandon and Caleb and everybody else who has become a regular here at uh, First Gen Hunter. But, Brian, really appreciate you, man. Thanks for staying up late to do this one. I probably rambled a little bit. I'm really sleepy. I got up super early today, did a lot of physical work, then shed hunted after work, and so I'm uh, smoked. But I really, uh, really appreciate you staying up late to get this one recorded. And uh, to everyone else listening in, please leave that review if you have not yet. Um, love hearing your your feedback getting uh instagram messages emails everything else that you guys send really appreciate that please interact that is the best part of doing this we do it for you we do these podcasts for you we want to make your drive to work uh better your drive to see the in-laws better want to make it all a better experience for you so give us that feedback so we know what you want what you need and uh, we'll be happy to try and address it as best we can but until next time take care and take someone hunted.